for the individuals in District CD2. The adjustments we made to allow us to do exactly what we're doing is the right thing, and that is to get you representation as fast as we possibly can, and that's the key. The recent announcement of Congressman Chris Stewart's intention to resign his seat in Utah's 2nd Congressional District will result in a vacancy in Utah's federal delegation. To address this vacancy and ensure Utah remains fully represented in Washington, this month the legislature convened in a special session where they voted unanimously to pass a bill which establishes election processes and protocols for a special election this fall. Here today to discuss what changes were made to this year's elections process is the bill sponsor, Representative Cal Musselman. Representative Mossman, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, you bet. So with that announcement, the negotiations and the debate, and as well as the exploring of different avenues started immediately. It was all hands on deck. The governor's office, lieutenant governor's office, the president of the Senate's office, the House, as well as the majority leader, and all those that are involved in leadership, all trying to come together and try to figure out the best path forward. And what rose to the top multiple times was to minimize or negate the amount of time that the citizens, most specifically in CD2, were unrepresented. The idea of them being unrepresented at all, it's uncomfortable at best, but certainly not appropriate. And so if we can, and as we can, we need to try to use that as the driving force. And we did. But how do you do that, right? There were so many hurdles and problems, but it come down to we have a municipal race coming up. And if we keep it in next year, we have the presidential race and all the baggage that comes with it and all the constitutional requirements, both at a federal level and a state level, that just start to conflict. And we can run elections, and we can run a special election, but we can't overlap the election cycles. It just becomes really difficult. But if we can run in conjunction with an election like a municipal election, then it works pretty well. But we don't have enough time to do that in the dates that are normal, right? August 15th, September 7th. So... The idea was we can move them if we can move them just a little bit so that it doesn't build things up too badly for municipalities, then we could accommodate that. The other driving force behind making sure that everybody was representative of CD2 at a congressional level was to minimize voter confusion and voter fatigue as much as possible. So you align the elections, that's number one, that minimizes voter fatigue, voter confusion. And the other part of that was we need to run them all together. The other part being critical, and that is having a secure election process. And that kind of ties together and not having voter confusion as well, right? So it was decided that we'd have the counties run all the elections, municipalities would defer to them, and over half the municipalities already contract with the counties anyway. But by doing this, we could run that congressional election. And then if we run everything else in the state in the same manner, there's one date for the primary, one date for the general election, and it's statewide the same, which minimizes that vote of confusion, voter fatigue. So, Representative, in current statute, in current state code, upon a vacancy in Congress, without the changes that we implemented in the special session, we wouldn't be having those special elections to fill the second congressional seat until next June. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, there were some changes that took place that allowed us to do exactly what we're doing. That's really good. You know, I heard the president state it, that that's the glass is half full part. We had a process in place that allowed us to act, but there were some other time constraints, the 90 days and things of that nature that, you know, caused some conflicts, made it difficult and requires us to move the municipal races. But it's difficult to anticipate every scenario, right? As I understand it, we've only done this twice in the past hundred years, these are singular events that you really can't anticipate. But the flexibility that we have with the changes that we made 
allows us to deal with it. And that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, Representative, does this bill make any significant changes to Utah's elections code? Is this in keeping with what we've traditionally done as a state? Or is this something really new for this election cycle? So to be clear, any and all changes will be repealed once this election is over. So to be clear. But the idea in the bill was to mirror as much as we possibly could. All that was familiar, in other words, in code or process or requirements, the process that a candidate, the voters, and the officials running the elections would face and be familiar with. That brings in everything that we possibly could make the same. For example, voter affiliation. That's one of the things voters would have faced in a normal election. And that is, in an even-year election, they would have April 1st as a deadline for affiliation. And after that, there's a moratorium. Their ability to switch parties would be frozen until after the primary. To be clear on that, though, this is important because I don't know where this came from, but if you're unaffiliated, you can affiliate anytime. You could before, you can for this election, and you will be able to after. That would be about an 85 days in this next year, and so if you count that back, that would have been you know, the Monday before the special session. So we just made it an immediate effective date. So just to be clear, because this is something that has generated a little bit of controversy within the public. So this bill does establish that moratorium for specifically party switching. So like you said, it doesn't affect any unaffiliated voters, but to flip from one party to another, that's nothing new. That is something that already exists in regular state code. In a normal election year, you would see that moratorium start around April 1st or so before the primary. This bill does the exact same thing and just has it for an immediate effective date, given that we're pushing back the date of the municipal primary. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. You summarized it perfectly. I would only add that instead of 85 to 90 days, which would have been from April 1st for whenever the primary landed, in this particular case, it would have been whenever the governor signed up, but approximately 80 days. So actually a little shorter window, but essentially reflecting the same process. Now, the bill also appropriated about $2.5 million in order to help carry out this special congressional election. Now, there's been some question as to what exactly are those funds to be used for? Given that we've changed the municipal primary and municipal general election dates to sync up with the congressional elections, why are there additional funds needed in order to carry out those elections if we're using those same election dates? Again, I want to reiterate, this is a singular event based on historical precedents. It doesn't happen very often, as far as I can tell, only two in the past hundred years. Nonetheless, if it had aligned up, in other words, had the resignation taken place a little bit earlier, and we didn't have to move the dates to accommodate what's required in statute, then it would be less of a hit. But when we move it out there, it changes everything. And the fact that we're running a congressional race when it was a normally a municipal race. In other words, all those municipalities be running the race, whether they contract with the county to run it for them, but it would be just a municipal race. In this case, in those CD2 counties, which I think there's seven or eight, they are now having to run a race they wouldn't have done otherwise if it was combined with a countywide races in the first place, it would have been easier, but they're not. It's not. So there's unincorporated areas that they're going to have to send ballots out to that they never would have sent out. And there is the distinct possibilities with a municipality where they just don't have opposing candidates on the ballot. So they don't need to have an election. So we're still going to have to mail out ballots to the individuals in that municipality because they need to be able to vote for, you know, the congressman. So there's additional costs that'll take place there. But it's critical, I think, to clarify something. The municipalities are required to reimburse the counties for running the election. 
this money is set aside to make up the gap between that reimbursement and any additional ballots that they would have had to process or send out. So this is not the state funding municipal elections. This is the state covering only effectively the added cost to the municipalities of having a congressional election in an odd year. Is that correct? Yeah, I would only clarify that money that is allocated in the bill just doesn't get sent to them. They have to show that they have the additional expense. And to be clear, the counties, once they've ran the election, they'll need to show the receipts above and beyond what they've been reimbursed for, receipts or documentation rather that shows that they have the extra expense. Once that is all done for those counties that are affected by the congressional race, if there are other counties that ran municipal races, that it would have been more expensive for the county to run it than if the municipality had just ran it on its own, then that leftover money could be allocated to help those counties as well. So it's primarily for the CD2s, but it's there also as a buffer if there is. Don't anticipate much. You know, like I said, more than half the municipalities already contract with the county in the first place. So Now, you mentioned something that the bill also requires that counties be the ones to really administer all of the elections for the municipal primary and the municipal general election. Normally, there are some cities that carry out their own municipal elections. Can you explain why we had the counties take control for this cycle specifically for all of the elections statewide? There's three reasons. Number one, we have a congressional race going on. So all that comes with that. Two, we've moved the dates. And three, we want to make sure that there's a secure election process. And the fastest way to make it unsecure is through voter confusion and misunderstandings. And so one message, you have the same date for all the municipal primaries and all the municipal general. But in addition to that, instead of two bodies running elections, there's one body, the counties. That makes the process work better, cleaner, more secure, and surely minimize voter confusion and it'll be a smooth process. Mm -hmm. And one more time, those dates for the municipal and the general election for this year. Can you walk through what those dates are and is there anything that voters need to know about those? So the dates are moving up from August 15th through September 5th, which is just moving it up three weeks, Tuesday to Tuesday. And again, the same thing on the general, moving it up from the 7th to the 21st, two weeks, Tuesday to Tuesday, so September 5th, primary, November 21st, general. Mm -hmm. And by having those elections there in conjunction with the special election, we should have a a new congressman to fill the vacancy in Congressional District 2 by the end of the year. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. My heart goes out to the good congressman, and he's a good man and a great representation of the state. And yeah, this is fast as possibly we could get somebody in there to represent them, and yeah, before the end of the year. It's a big deal to get that done as quickly as possible for 800 plus thousand individuals represented. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And what exactly does that mean for Utah's federal delegation in Washington, D.C.? How does filling that seat as quickly as possible really impact our representation at the national level? Well, of course, there's D.C. politics and all that go along with that. But most specifically, our concern is to have those 800 some odd thousand that would be unrepresented because there's specific needs that are in that congressional district that aren't necessarily the same needs throughout the state, and they need to be represented, and that's the key. Is there anything else that you would like to communicate to members of the public, specifically those who might reside in Congressional District 2, about this election bill and about these changes that are coming and will be in place for this fall's primary and general elections? First of all, I think it's important for me to communicate with the individuals in District CD2. The adjustments we made to allow us to do exactly what we're doing is the right thing. And that is to get you representation as fast as we possibly can. And that's the key. 
We appreciate you and the work that you have done to ensure that all of those voters continue to have their voice in Washington. And we look forward to seeing exactly how those races play out this fall and appreciate you taking the time to explain all of that to us. Thank you.